Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. I want to tell you guys about one of the absolute best days of my life. April 3rd, 2021, almost two years ago now. And my husband and I were on the verge of adopting our five incredible kids who had been living with us for almost a year in foster care. And on this night in April at the Easter Vigil, we got to watch all of them be baptized, be confirmed, and receive First Holy Communion. It was incredible. And the joy on their faces was palpable. I mean, it was beaming. The joy on my face, on the other hand, was probably a little harder to make out in the midst of my ugly mom tears. So actually this moment, those ugly tears backstage feel familiar. And I also think that my joy watching my kids become new creations in Christ was something like the joy of the apostles at Pentecost. Peter preaches this incredible sermon at Pentecost, and the people respond. They want to accept Jesus. And so 3,000 people are baptized that day, St. Luke tells us in the Acts of the Apostles. 3,000 people! They accepted Christ with zeal, and many of you did the same last night. So you might be asking, what's next? What do I do with this change of heart I've had? So let's look at Acts of the Apostles and see what did the early Christians do next. St. Luke tells us, and they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. These four habits, four elements of the life of the early church, can give us a window into Christian living that can still transform us today. And just to note, they don't call this book the good intentions of the apostles, okay? It's the acts of the apostles. So we're talking about habits that can transform us. Teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Let's unpack each one. First, the teaching of the apostles. The primary thing that the apostles actually taught that day in the narrative of Acts was about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, also known as the gospel. And actually, at this moment in the narrative of Acts, that's the only thing the apostles have taught. So when we talk about holding steadfastly to the teaching of the apostles, We are first and foremost talking about living the gospel. That means living with hope and radiating joy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get a little discouraged and I get a little gloomy. But if we live the gospel and hold steadfastly to that teaching, then we can become the kind of people about whom others look at and say, what makes you so happy? Have you ever seen that kind of person? We want to be like them, and we can be like that if we hold steadfastly to this teaching, the gospel. The teaching of the apostles also includes other truths that flow from the primary truth of the gospel. And these are mostly very unpopular in our world today. They were equally unpopular in the early church. What the Catholic Church teaches about the primacy of spiritual things, about the dignity of unborn life, about living simplicity, about marriage, about sexual purity— These are challenging and richly rewarding teachings. So how do we go about them? 
When I was in college, I was starting to come alive in my faith, but I had a lot to learn. In my classes, I was learning about all of the ideologies that people put on as lenses through which to see the world. All of these isms, including Marxism, feminism, materialism, utilitarianism. And my problem was that I saw some truth in each of them. But I also saw many ways in which they contradicted what I knew to be true from my Catholic faith. The key to unlocking this puzzle came for me when I began to read the writings of Pope John Paul II, who, by the way, was still alive when I was your age, when I was in college. You guys see all this gray hair. I earned this. 20 years ago, I went to my first Focus conference, and there were fewer people there at the whole conference than we had priests hearing confessions last night. Can you believe that? In 20 years. And I can't believe he was on this stage. That's like the coolest thing ever. Praise the Lord. Specifically, a friend gave me JP2's letter to women. This is a brief teaching on a truly Catholic way of thinking about feminism. And it helped me to see why I admired some things about secular feminism, like the way they promoted the dignity of women. But it also helped me understand where feminism had gone wrong in pitting women's dignity against the, the dignity of men or against unborn children. It helped me affirm the good of feminism while also setting aside what was untrue without having to dismiss the whole entire thing. And more than that, it gave me an intellectual framework. Before this experience, I had known, believed the teachings of the church instinctively. But JP2 helped me ground myself in the long history of Catholic thought. And Catholic thought is so firmly rooted in reality that we can approach secular thought without defensiveness and with great conviction. Why is that? Well, if everything in the universe was created by this all-good, all-loving God, then we don't have to be afraid of anything that's true, that's found to be true by science or by life experience. All things exist to glorify God and to point to our true identity in Christ. And that's totally different than the theories I studied in college. Those theories told me that the world was an ongoing power struggle or that human beings became intelligent by cosmic accident. Those are actually kind of depressing worldviews. But the truth is that there is a purpose for all things in God's will. And when we put on the mind of the church, the mind of Christ, we can have this intellectual freedom and joy as well. The second practice St. Luke tells us about is fellowship. Fellowship means many things. It means friendship with other believers. It means living as a part of a Christian community. It means being a member of the family of God, the church, like Dr. Sri was talking about. But can we talk about friendship for a second? It's kind of a tricky concept in our world today. We have so many modes of connection. Many of them are digital, and it can become a superficial substitute for real friendship. But when St. Luke talks about the early Christians holding steadfastly to fellowship, I am sorry to say, but he was not talking about someone liking your Insta story. St. Luke was talking about sharing life together, eating meals together, worshiping God together, telling stories, long laughter. And don't we all want that kind of friendship? Yeah. When I was a young focus missionary serving in North Dakota, yeah, I was hoping you guys would represent. 
Y'all, North Dakota is the best kept secret in the country. They want you to think it's terrible because they don't, they don't want it to be overcrowded. But it's awesome. <laughs> Anyways, my team was looking to do an off-site retreat thing, and we had heard about this amazing priest in a rural part of the state. And so he agreed to do the retreat for us. And then the North Dakota winter hit. That part is real. The North Dakota winter. <laughs> and we love it. Okay. An unforeseen blizzard stranded us at Father's Rectory for two days. And so this neatly planned, tidy interaction had a start time and an end time. It turned into a two-day immersion in fellowship. Now this priest is Italian, which means he knows his way around food. And <laughs> he sat us down at his dining room table and proceeded to serve us a five-course authentic Italian dinner. And at every stage, he taught us how to take our time eating, how to share stories, the long version of your stories, how to drink wine with every single course so the acid can help you digest precisely so you can eat more food. Yeah. My team, we got to know each other better in one day than we had in the previous six months of working together. And by the time we finished our lunch, our five-course lunch, it was actually past dinner time. <laughs> okay? The timelessness of these kinds of moments is part of what makes real friendships so meaningful. It's like for once we can take off the masks and we can let go of the pressure and we can give the gift of our real selves to others and receive the gift of who they really are. The walls come down and real human intimacy can come in. This kind of fellowship, it actually gives us a taste of heaven, believe it or not. In heaven, we will bask in the glow of who God is in his perfect fellowship among himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Great friendships for us are a foretaste of this eternal communion. Another important thing, though, for us to note about friendship is that they don't just build us up. They also have the opportunity to bring us down and pull us away from God. I think you guys know what I mean. Maybe you've tried to make changes in your life before and to lead a holy life, but those same friends and those same environments, they keep tempting you to things you swore you would never do again. A great analogy for how we can approach our friendships is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer, it reads the temperature in the room. It's very straightforward. It's high when the temperature is hot and it's low when the temperature is cold. A thermostat, on the other hand, sets the temperature in the room. And as we're just starting out in the Christian life or in a particular good habit, we might not yet be strong enough to set the temperature. We might need to avoid certain friends or certain situations for a while while we gain the inner strength and the virtue to live as Christ wants us to live. But that doesn't mean that we have to surround ourselves only with holy people all the time. If we did that, how would we ever bring anyone to Christ? No, as we grow, there will be times when we are rooted in Christ enough that we can be with others who are living a sinful life and we can set the temperature and call them higher in love. What does St. Luke mean when he tells us the early Christians devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread? Well, we know this phrase from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 24, in the Road to Emmaus story. The breaking of the bread, it, it turns out it's a euphemism for the Holy Eucharist. 
Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus to some disciples after the resurrection, but he's hidden. And he doesn't reveal his identity until they're at supper, and Jesus repeats all the actions of the Last Supper. He makes himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. He made himself present to his followers in the gift of the bread transformed into his actual body and blood, just like he does for us today. Okay, can we pause on this teaching? I think that this is actually the most unique and maybe important thing about the Catholic faith. That we don't just believe that God humbled himself enough to become a little baby or to die on the cross. We actually believe that he continues to humble himself each and every day that under the appearance of bread and the taste of bread, that he might enter into our very selves, changing us from the inside out. It's remarkable. And I grew up Catholic, but I didn't really learn this reality until I was a freshman in high school. I went on this uh, religious ed retreat, and there was daily mass the first day, and the priest in his homily, he said, do you realize that the Eucharist we consume at mass is actually really the body and blood of Jesus? Not a symbol, the real thing. And I was sitting there with my jaw on the floor like, what? First of all, that's incredible. And second of all, I was kind of angry, like, why has no one ever told me this before? What? Some of you may be asking yourself for the first time here at SEEK, is it true? Is the Holy Eucharist really the body and blood of Jesus? It's a question we have to wrestle with, because once you're convinced that it's true, there is no going back. As Father Josh told us last night in Gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus shared this controversial teaching and he lost disciples. And when he asked the twelve, will you go away also? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If you are convicted that Jesus is present in the Holy Eucharist, your life will never be the same. Yeah. He's real. The phrase, the breaking of the bread, also refers to the whole sacramental life. Dr. Sri was sharing a little bit about this with us. And many of us got to experience firsthand last night the amazing power of the sacrament of reconciliation. Who loved that? We can come to him often in confession and in Holy Communion. And that constant contact with grace to God's own life living within us is the surest way to grow in holiness. When I was in college, I scheduled monthly confession with my roommates because I would chicken out otherwise. I was more likely to go if I went with somebody. And um, to be honest, I still do that today. My husband and my kids, we go every two weeks, and it's awesome. And also in college, I began adding one daily mass a week per semester so that by the time I graduated, I was going to mass every day. But we have to build these habits gradually. I just want to encourage you guys to go forward to Jesus with that constant renewal so you can continue following him and start again whenever you fail. The fourth element of the life of the early Christians is prayer. Prayer. We could talk about this for hours and hours. But as far as I'm ex I've experienced, the most important thing to share with you tonight is that you actually have to do it. You actually have to pray. All the good intentions of the world, all the fancy techniques of how to meditate, they're not going to make up for the neglect of setting aside time for prayer. In the days when I was first starting to follow Jesus, I had this cycle of retreat highs. 
that I was going, for, going through. I had great intentions of praying every day, and I would do it when I had warm feelings following a retreat or a conference. And then as the feelings faded, my habits of prayer faded. Over Christmas break, though, of my freshman year of college, I remember I was in one of these low parts of the cycle. I was going to bed one night, and I was feeling this way, not praying. And I thought, oh yeah, but I'm going to that focus conference thing in a week or two. That'll fix it. That'll give me the boost I need. And then I paused, and it occurred to me that if I always coasted in my faith from one retreat high to the next, and if I expected these events to do the work of loving God for me, I would never grow closer to God. Immediately, I hit my knees and I poured out my heart to God. And the rest of that break, I prayed at least a little bit of quiet time with him every day. And this was a real turning point in my relationship with Christ. So please don't let this conference be a one-time encounter with Jesus. Commit now to praying at least a little every day from here on out. And what you've gained here, it actually has the power to change you. Okay, so the most important thing about prayer is to actually do it. Nothing can replace that. But what do we do when we're in prayer? St. Teresa of Avila tells us that prayer is nothing else but being on terms of friendship with God, frequently conversing in secret with him who we know loves us. Isn't that beautiful? It's a conversation with God. It means sharing our heart with him, our highs and our lows. A priest I really trust once said that God is not a stalker. Do you like that? Yes, he's omniscient. He knows everything about you already. But relationships are not built on surveillance. No, so if God only knew about you, the things that you choose to share with him, how close would you be? If God only knew about you, the things that you choose to share with him, how close would the two of you be? In addition to talking to God, we need to listen to him. There's a lot of noise in the world around us, and honestly, a lot of it is self-imposed. We don't like the silence that much. We are the most busy, distracted, and entertained people in human history. And we are also the most anxious and depressed people in human history. It takes a lot of courage to face our real broken selves in the silence, and most importantly, in the company of God. But that's where real healing can enter in. Real grounding for us in the truth of who God is and how unconditionally he loves us. When I was beginning to take my faith seriously in college, I remember once being home at Christmas and going to Mass with my mom. And I've always loved Christmas. There's something about it that just transcends your daily life. It's the smells, it's the tastes, it's the sounds. These sense experiences somehow point to a mysterious reality beyond themselves. And somehow that's at the same time very old and very new. This was how I had always treasured Christmas, but that year was different because I had been walking with Jesus daily. I had been living the habits of Acts 2.42 and beginning to follow Jesus as his disciple. So I sat in Christmas Mass and I was amazed that it did not feel like it was lifting me out of my daily life experience. Every day of my new life felt like Christmas. Every day I got to touch the deepest mysteries of the universe by encountering Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And I'm grateful that I still do. 
These habits of walking with Christ each day have shaped who I am. Because y'all, Dr. Sri said it, Jesus' goal is to transform us into himself, his own likeness. He doesn't just want to make you a little bit better or to scrape by avoiding major sins. He actually wants you to radiate with his glory. So every day we walk with him and we live the habits of the Christian life, we give him that permission to transform us. Little by little, often so gradually that it's imperceptible to us. He is making us into the saints he has called us to be. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.